1 Samuel chapter 17, this is going to be the close of the study that we've been doing in, on uh, concerning uh, David and Goliath. And I feel like we've been in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I feel like I, I know David on a personal basis. And I'm, all, I'm also, when we close out any book, it, it, it's almost, it, it's hard because I, I enjoy reading or studying things like that so much. Uh, but this it will be the close of our study concerning this. And, and as we know up to this point, David has slain the giant. Uh, the, the battle was the Lord's. He slung the stone. He hit Goliath. He sunk in his forehead. He cut off his head. The children of Israel chased after the Philistines, and they, they won. They were victorious, and they came back, and David put the, the armor of Goliath into his tent. We'll be reading verses 55 through 58 this morning. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, or the general of his army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire, ask thou whose son the stripling or stripling is. Now a stripling or stripling is just a young man. But in the language, it indicates something that is to be kept out of sight. It used to be said that children were to be seen and not heard. Well, at his age, the king is saying, who is this person that we see and yet is not worthy to be seen? Who, Who is this guy? And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him, the general took him, and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Title of this message, Whose son is this? Whose son is this? Now from the context, Saul is asking, and he was commenting on what was known from from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 29 forward. Okay, because it says... When Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines. So that's what he's referencing. When David uh, was presented before him and went out to the Philistine, that's what he's referencing. Who is that guy? Okay. But they had met before. And even most recently, if you turn back to chapter 16, um, King Saul, he had a heavy heart. And he was already told that the kingdom would be stripped from him. And 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14 But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Music soothes even the most savage beast, doesn't it? Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing. Notice how he describes him. And a mighty, valiant man, and a man of war, and a prudent matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. 
And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So he says, whose son is this? He's, he's not, I mean, he knows, he knows David. He knows who it is. So what's going on here? And the description of David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, chapter 16 David should have been one that stood out to King Saul as a candidate for battle. Hey, look, here's this giant. Go get this boy that, that I love and this boy that has played before me and has, has comforted me. Why didn't he? Well, because until chapter 17, the noise about David was just that. It was all noise. It was all talk, right? You ever met anybody like that? It's like, oh, yeah, I hear your words. I hear this. I hear this. But then they actually do something, and you're like, man, where'd that guy come from? Who is that guy? Well, it seems as though that is exactly what happened here in the text. He had heard of David. He had met with David. He loved David. David played the harp with him. He was brought unto him, you see. But now he asks this question, whose son is this? What's different? What is different? Well, go back and we'll, we'll see it as we go through the text. In chapter 17, you see in verse 26, And David spake unto the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? He saw the hardiness of David. Okay, so Saul, King Saul didn't hear verse 26. We're going to read that the word was noised abroad and it, and, it fought, and it came down to King Saul. But it says that the same things David said were, were brought unto him. So David was a hardy man and he wasn't just hardy in that he enjoyed Denny Moore beef stew. He was hardy in that he trusted the Lord and the Lord's promises toward Israel. He, notice he used that word uncircumcised Philistine. Thinking back into Genesis chapter 17, when El Shaddai promised Abram, calling him Abraham, that he would be with his people throughout the generations. He was hardy unto the Lord. He was also he also saw the resilience of David. Verses 28 through 31, uh, he, he spoke to many people who were quite passionately trying to get him to shut up and sit down, especially his brother Eliab. But David showed great resilience and, and a steadfastness in his love of the Lord, of the promises of God, and, and in his being in himself. Sometimes, you know, people are, they, they have a lot of passion in what they believe, but they're not very resilient in what they believe. You might think you know you believe something, and then somebody says something contrary to that, and you're easily persuaded to something else. Well, that's not a resilience, you know, being easily changed. Well, David wasn't easily changed of mind. He was resilient in his passions, wasn't he? Who is this? You know, if someone has a hardiness in the Lord and a resilience in the Lord, they're going to stand out in this life. They really will. You see the voluntariness of David, verse 32. 
And David said to Saul, let, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David was a volunteer. Everybody else, they were saying, who will go? And it was basically going to be a draft on the battle. But David was a volunteer. That in itself is a different thing in this life. Sometimes being a vulnerable volunteer can be a very lonely place. How lonely was David? Humanly speaking, God was with him. We know that. But humanly speaking, how many people were out there with David that were not an adversary? Even his own friends trying to help him weren't. So the volunteeriness of David, he he was a person that 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 in measure, in part, and in just a small way, he pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the ultimate volunteer. You think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ being alone for the sins of his people was the ultimate volunteer. By the power of God and by the will of God, Jesus Christ laid down his life for his people. But that's a hardy thing. When, when no other valiant man would stand up, this ruddy boy, this stripling, did. That'll catch one's attention. But even up to that point, there's a lot of people that, that by the mouth, they have hardiness, and by the mouth, their resilience, and by the mouth, oh yeah, I'll go. You see the faith of David, verses 34 through 37. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Faithfulness of David. There's several aspects I want you to see this. The faith of David. How many people, when, when heartache comes, when struggle comes, when adversary comes, oh yeah, well that's, I got a flock, man. That lion, he could have that one sheep. <laughs> I ain't risking my life over that. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay over here with the sheep. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of the, his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. You know, people have faith. They say they have faith. What is faith? How do you spell it? A-C-T-I-O-N. That's how you spell faith. You go read Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, so-and-so sat down and said, Lord willing, can't wait till the rapture happens. No. By faith, the people of God trusted the Lord, did what he said, even and especially when it didn't make sense. The faith of David. As you read through here, Goliath, or excuse me, King Saul he said, no, that's a man of war, and you're just a kid, and he's been a, he's been a man of war since his youth. It didn't make sense to Saul, but seeing David and his faith, you might even read in there that, that King Saul, I don't believe you, David, but you obviously do believe it, David. Get out there and do it. The Lord be with you. That's what he says in verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. This Philistine and Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Whose son is this? It's a hardy man. He's a resilient man. He's a volunteer. He's a faithful man of God. He saw the wisdom of David. What's wisdom? The application of God to knowledge in the affairs of life. 
the wisdom of David. Verses 38 through 40. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Wisdom, application in the affairs of life. You know, faith without wisdom isn't faith. Faith without application is not faith. It's just words. It's just knowledge. David, exercising wisdom, said, You know what, Saul, your armor doesn't fit this battle. It doesn't fit me, and it doesn't fit this battle. If it fit this battle, you should have worn it and gone out there respectfully, O king. But I can't move in this stuff. In his wisdom. They, don't you know that that made old King Saul's eyebrows come up? Like I gave him the best male in the kingdom, the best armor in the kingdom. He doesn't want it. He's going to throw the stick. He's going to get killed. He saw the courage of David. Back in chapter 17, verses 4 through 11. Don't forget. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six hundred was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat, uh, coat was 5,000 shekels of silver. You know, if you put all this stuff in a wheelbarrow, most grown men couldn't carry it in a wheelbarrow. And this is what these guys walking around and fighting in. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? And not a Philistine, neither servants of Saul. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will I be your servants. But if I will prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 16, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, and presented himself forty days. Verse 23, And as he talked with them, behold, there came the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistine, and spake according to the same words, And David heard them. Verse 41. And the Philistine came on. Now put yourself on that battlefield. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Think of the courage. That's what, I mean, no doubt every eyeball on that field on both sides was staring at this thing. 
Whose son is this that would stand before that man that made Israel to shake? Who? Whose son is this that would have such courage in his God, that have such courage in Jehovah? He saw the hope and expectation of David. Verses 45 through 47. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Again, he saw the hope and expectation of David. It wasn't his ability. It wasn't surely in, in you know, that the, the giant, that he wasn't sufficient in his armor and those things. His hope and expectation was in the Lord God of Israel. The Jehovah, the God of promise, that one that had made himself near to the, to, the, to the camp of Israel. Whose son is this? He saw the deeds of David. Now again, there's a lot of people that squawk, squawk, squawk. He saw the deeds of David. Verse 48 through 51. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. That's significant. We studied that already. There's nothing new that we're learning here. He ran out to do it. Was he grieved about it? Was Was he any nervous at all? He's a human being. How would you feel? However David felt, he felt it running into the battle. All oh, the hope and expectation, the, the deeds of David by the grace of God. And David put his hand in his bag. We asked that question weeks ago, what's in the bag? And took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell upon the face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling of the stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. David was a man of action. He wasn't a man, yes, he often did contemplate. He often did muse about the fire, the wonderful works of God. David was a man of action. Whose son is this? He saw how that David... This ruddy young boy was an encouragement to the camp of Israel. Verse 52 and 53, And the men of Israel and of Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou comest to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell by the way to, uh, to uh, Sharim, even to Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And the encouragement, the men could, could not stay as they were. You see, there was, there was a whole bunch of men of war, including Saul himself, that did not motivate those people to trust the Lord. But God used David 
What kind of man is this? Whose son is this that brings encouragement to the camp? It's not a godly encouragement that leads people to believe that they're okay as they are. David did not encourage that people to, live, to stay as they were. Remember, when we just read that in verse 40, 47, all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with spear and sword, or sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he shall give you into our hands. That the encouragements in the Lord causes the people of God to trust the Lord and follow the Lord and do so with great encouragement. It's godly encouragement that leads the people of God to trust the Lord, to rise up, to shout, and to pursue in godly efforts. Whose son is this? You see also in verse 54, the humility of David. Oh, wait, what? And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. What do you mean the humility of David? What are you talking about? If ever there was a time, you know, King Saul was paranoid most of his life that David was trying to steal the kingdom from him. If there was ever a time that David could have stolen the kingdom, it would have been right here, right now, with the head of the giant and the sword of the giant and all of Israel following after him. Wouldn't that be a good time to start a coup in Israel? It really would. But where did he go? He went to his tent. You know, we looked at some of the pride elements of taking Goliath's armor last time, but it was also a pretty humble thing for him to go to know his place and go to his tent and not try to take King Saul's tent or try to take King Saul's uh, uh, gallery and in his cabinet and all those things. He, he knew his role. He, this, who is this guy? Whose son is he? This was perplexing the King Saul, no doubt. What kind of person would show these kind of characteristics? Whose lineage would produce such vim and vigor, uh, such energy, enthusiasm, and strength from such a, little, such, a, such a young man as this? He was asking Abner. You know, Abner, to say it lightly, was a bad dude in Israel. So for anybody to be also a, a, a worthy warrior, Abner would know who it would be. And Abner says, uh-uh. I don't know. He's also asking this because in verse 25, it's promised. Look at this, verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Show the defy Israel, he has come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and shall make his father's house free in Israel. There's going to be great reward for David. Whose son is this? Because that family is going to be free and that man is going to marry my daughter and that man will have riches and supply in Israel. Whose son is this? You see, this is a pretty action-packed little, little account here in 1 Samuel 17, isn't it? We see a lot. The children of God, based on these same items, the world, even knowing us, even knowing us, should be perplexed and ask the question, whose child is that? Whose child is that? And I'll be honest that there is much room for me to improve in these things. And may the Lord grant us such graces that we would see it. In our heartedness in the Lord, just as David in his heartiness, as we read in verse 26, 
Who's going to do something about these people that defied the armies of the living God? Just in our hardiness, we should desire that the Lord, the name of the Lord God Almighty would not be defied and that we would tell a lost and dying world to repent and believe the gospel. A hardiness in the Lord. That, 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 that strength found only in the Lord and trusting Him and His promises, just as David called upon that circumcision, that we call upon the gospel of Jesus Christ that in all hardiness of value that we stand and declare such things as the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Whose son is this that in opposition he showed all resilience? You know, there's a lot of opposition in this world. And sometimes opposition comes in the form of craftiness and sleight of hand and even partnerships. Oh, join in with us. Join in with us. Join us in here. Don't create a scene. Don't make a scene. Join us over here in the camp as we tremble and shake before the adversary. Even know that I know your heart and, and that you're wicked and you came down here to see what's going on and you just want to make a show of yourself, David. That's what his, son, his brother Eliab said. That even in the face of, of, of that contradiction, he showed resilience in the Lord, didn't he? It's really, as children of God, it's really none of our business what this world has to say because what does this world have besides the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life? What does this world have to offer? It's not of God. So really, it's none of our concern what this world should have to say about the testimony of Jesus Christ. Be resilient. In resilience in this life, you will stand out. And then sometimes in resilience in this life, oftentimes, being a volunteer, a voluntariness unto the Lord, it might find you might find yourself in a very lonely place. Very lonely. Vulnerable and lonely. And that's okay. What did the Lord himself declare in John chapter 15? Please look, if you would, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And... Start reading with me in verse 18, please. If the world hate you, you know that it had hated me before it hated you. No, he's not talking about... If you continue the reading here, he's not talking about those that that are just, uh, what you might say, just irreligious. He's not talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the horde over there in the Celtic realm. He's talking about religiously unsaved people here. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Boy, that ought to really raise the eyebrows of these these evangelists, so-called, that go out there, and the world just laps them up, and they have great followings. Remember the word that I said unto you, that the servant is not greater than than the Lord, than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken unto you, that you should not be offended, pushed off, that you should be hardy and resilient, 
They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that they do that he doeth God service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. The remnant according to election. Again, voluntariness of the child of God being hardy and resilient. Not only can it and will be it lonely, but you might see, you might well see affliction as the Lord so promised. Whose child is this? As we move in hardiness and resilience and voluntariness, that, that, that our faith, as David called upon the faith or the, the works of God in his life, the Lord rescued me from the lion and the bear, and he will give me this Philistine. That the faith of the children of God, that he has saved, saved my soul from death and from corruption, and he, by his promise, will continue me until the day that he comes for me and I, or I die in death. That the child of God will be so persuaded in faith, God-given faith, that we would trust the Lord and proceed forward. Whose child is this? child of man won't do such things. The child of God will. Whose child? child of God, we ought to move in wisdom. Just as David said, no, the weapons of this life, the weapons offered by this world and the, and the powers of this world are not sufficient. But exercising wisdom, truly seeking the Lord. And again, I, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't say it outright, but as David went to that, that brook with those stones and that staff in his hand, I can't help but to think that the, the ideas of Psalm 23 were ringing through his head. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As he approached unto that giant, do you think he was thinking, Oh, I, oh, I woke through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Wisdom. Courage. You know, it doesn't take any courage to, to bear the armor of the adversary. It doesn't take any courage to go along with this present world. It doesn't take any courage for people to stand up and preach a bland gospel that literally everyone will say, oh yes, that's great. That takes no courage. It did take courage for David to stand up alone, toe-to-toe, with his giant and say, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom thou hast defied. That takes courage. He didn't go there on his own behalf. He didn't represent himself and say, yeah, you know what? Well, you're big and ugly and got a ward on your nose. He didn't return anything like that. In all courage, he declared the glory of God. In his courage, God granted courage. He delivered unto that giant and the army of the Philistines and to the army of Israel who God is, that he is indeed God in heaven, and that the Lord Jehovah, the, 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 the hope and expectation of Israel, would indeed win the battle. Again, that's it'd be one thing if he had a group of people behind him. He's out there alone. Whose son is this? When he went out there indeed, you know, again, there's a lot of folks that have a lot to say about a lot of different things. But when David ran to the giant and slain a stone, 
Children of God, we're not just to trust the Lord. We're to trust Him and do what He says. Evaluation of our lives, how we behave ourselves, how we conduct ourselves, what, what, what interactions we have. He didn't go out there with a white flag to parlay with Goliath, did he? He said, you're going down, and God's bringing you down. And yes, I'm just a tool in his hand to get it done. Did he have any kind of mealy mouth speech, or did, did he try to smooth things over and try to, to lessen the calls? No. No, he didn't. He went out there with a sling and stones, and in all wisdom and courage, having faith in God, he performed his convictions. We could say we have all the faith and wisdom and courage and hope in the Lord, but if we're not out broadcasting to a lost and dying world, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, then this other stuff just really doesn't mean a whole lot. If David didn't go out to the, if all he had was words and reputation and stories and whatever, but didn't go out there and face that giant, yes, the Lord could have hit him with a lightning bolt or a meteor or opened the earth. He could have done all kinds of stuff. He used David. The Lord could broadcast the gospel in the sky, but it's by the foolishness of preaching that he saves sinners. Children of God, what are our deeds? And are we known by them? And even if people disagree with us, would they say or ask, whose child is this? Whose son is this? In David's, and God using David, I understand that. God using David, David was a great encouragement to the people of God, wasn't he? Did he encourage them to go home and and to think about it and do it. And then did he encourage them to take some time off? Did he encourage them to, to sign up for a, a, a Bible reading plan and then maybe in five years to come we'll come out and face the giants out here or, or, or to pursue the Philistines? No. When they saw it, he said, look again in chapter 17, 17 and verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saved not with sword and spear, Go back up to verse 16. I will smite thee. Verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and I'll take the head off of thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air. Encouragement. David and his encouragement. Yes, it's the Lord who did win the battle. The battle was the Lord's, but his expectation was today that the people of God would be encouraged. Today! Today. Yes, it's wonderful to have a Bible reading plan. We do. As a family, we do. Today, rise up, shout, and pursue. Children of God, are we known in humility and knowing our role? What is what is my role in this life? Is my role in this role in this life just to you know heap as many treasures as I can to myself? Is my is my role in this life to have a good old time? Is my role in this life to to uh, to, to heap to myself riches and honor and fortune and glory? To eat as much pizza and cheeseburgers as I can fit in my stomach? Is that, is that the objective in life? No, my role in this life should be in all humility to broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ and to tell 
a lost and dying world that the battle is the Lord's. Man will lose the battle every time. Christ won the battle. Christ won the battle. Now, if we truly understand the idea of sovereign grace, it's humiliating. There's no pride in that at all. It's humiliating. David went to his tent. In our place, we're to know our role. This is not about us. My role in this life is not about me. It's about the glory of God. For a bonus, David gave an answer whose child he was. Look at this. King Saul asked him in verse 30, excuse me, in verse 58, and Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. David gave an answer whose child he was. Hey, with all this hardiness and resilience and voluntariness and faith and wisdom and courage and hope, expectation, these deeds, this encouragement to the people of God and shown in all humility, whose child are you? Who sent you on this errand? 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would turn there just for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. How can you be hardy before? What is the source of your resilience? Why are you out here all vulnerable, all alone, doing these things? Why would you do that? What is the source of your faith? Why would you behave this way? How do you find courage in the face of all this opposition? What is your expectation? What do you hope to accomplish? Why do you do the things you do? And why do you try to help others who say that they're on the Lord's side? Because I'm a child of the King. Because I'm a son of God. Because I was a sinner, dead in trespasses and sins, but he made me alive to be a son. Heir. Join heir with Jesus Christ. Does my, display, does my behavior display these characteristics? David's behavior caused King Saul, who had met him before, to say, Who's this daddy? Who's this kid belong to? Does my behavior cause others to say, man, whose son is that? God help me that it would. Again, I have I I have much room to grow here. Do I have such an enthusiasm and strength, a vim and vigor for the cause of Christ? Do those who know me and have do they have trouble identifying me because they don't know whose son I am? Who is that guy? Who, who, Whose offspring is he? I don't believe David was in it for the reward. I don't believe he did this so he could marry King Saul's daughter or that his house would have riches. He mentions time and time again for the glory of the Lord to, to shut up that man who had defied the armies of Israel, even the God of Israel. David was in it for the glory of the Lord and for the good of God's people. For the glory of the Lord, that his name, look, we read that again, read it. 
In verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and with spear. And the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That all the world would have declared unto them the glory of God and that the people of God would be refreshed in the promises of God, even the Lord, the God of hosts. What an example. You see, King Saul would give these riches and honor unto David. But David acknowledged that all these things were of God. God himself has promised, according to the exceeding riches of his grace, great promises unto the children of God. And he has promised what are known as crowns to be to be cast at the feet of God Almighty in Revelation chapter 4, but he gives the grace to perform those things in the first place. So as David was, was given riches and honor because of something that God had done through him, so will the child of God. We don't do it for, for riches and honor, but for the glory of God and the good of his people, yet God is pleased to grant riches and honor and blessing unto his people for things that he has gifted to them. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. Whose son is this? Well, whose son am I? All the riches that I would have are by the grace of God. Everything. He's the giver of good things. Read that in the book of James. Whose son is this? Well, as David, may, may we move as the children of God for the glory of God and for the good of God's people. And may we move with all hardness and resilience in all voluntariness of faith and wisdom, courage, hope and expectation that our deeds, our, our works would be shown, being encouragements to others and all be done through all humility in Christ. Child of God, by the grace of God, David had a wonderful testimony in the Lord, didn't he? In this text, in, 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 in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he had a wonderful testimony in the Lord. Yes, he was still a sinner, and yes, we see flaws even in his character in this passage, but what a wonderful testimony. King Saul didn't ask about any of those other men standing by, did he? Well, over there, that group over here, whose children are they? And this group over here, whose children are they? No, David, used of God, he was inquired of. Whose son is this? The world won't pay much attention to people doing nothing. You know, Satan doesn't have to go over here and mess with people who are doing nothing. Does he? No. That giant, though he in general was casting out words and blaggarding Israel and all this kind of stuff, he had one true opponent, and that was David. This world, well, people who are doing nothing, this world would more or less leave them alone if they don't try to couple them in the arm and walk right along with them. A child of God, you do as David and you live a daring and vulnerable life in the Lord, that question is going to come up. Whose child is this? Whose son is this? Those that think they're doing God's service, again, that Philistine, he was out there cursing David by his gods, wasn't he? He thought he was all so religious. People that think they're doing God's service will hate you and despise you. It says that he disdained David and cursed him by his gods. Whose son? 
If you're a child of this world, you're going to fit right in. If you're a child of God, you won't. Whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? Sinner, there's a picture of you in this text also, and the text being verses 55 through 58. I don't know if you caught it when you read it at the outset. Do you see it? Do you see it? It's in verse 57. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, David Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. That head of the Philistine is a picture of you. What? Yeah, it's pretty gruesome, huh? Pretty gruesome. Now, you can think about that all you want, but I've, I've seen the heads of people that have been taken off their bodies. And it's as gruesome as your imagination can run wild. You know, you can heal and you can mend a lot of stuff, but if somebody's decapitated, if their head is gone, they are dead. They are dead. That head of the Philistine, you know, the Lord, the name of the Lord, the reputation, the glory of the Lord prevailed. It shall prevail. It did prevail. It shall prevail. And the battle is the Lord's. The enemies of God shall fall. Even with all their strength, think of Goliath, even with all his strength, his ability, his experience, his arrogance, his loud-mouthedness, all those things, there's Goliath's head. That's certain. That's not a wound. That's death. And guess what? Even with all his support, all his armor, and even his shield bearer, there's Goliath's head. Does that bring a panic in you in your mind? This man that defied the armies of the living God, surely death came upon him. That'll happen to all that resist, and that'll happen to all that that proclaim their in their in their willness and their arrogance, all that proclaim themselves rather than submitting to the God of heaven, to the Lord of the assembly of Israel. That'll happen to all. What's the remedy? How can one be spared from such an end? Well, Goliath could not have maintained his position and had any other outcome. What's the remedy? Enemy of God, what is the enemy? Repent and believe the gospel. How that Christ, the Son of God, born in the flesh, lived an impeccable life, could not sin, would not sin. That he, yes, he died, but he died a death of substitution. The death of his people, his rather the sins of his people was laid upon him. And he was judged by God the Father for those things. In essence, by picture, he was decapitated. His head was taken. It didn't. It, he literally wasn't decapitated at, at Calvary. But by picture, he was the man slain by God. God's wrath being satisfied, Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. So that his people, though they die, they would live forevermore. Read about what Jesus told that woman in John chapter 11. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Sin and repent. See the imminent danger 
of your eternal death. And only Christ can supply life in his gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection. Repent and believe the gospel. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.